So we are in now the passion of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Mark, and that means his sufferings, which began in the Garden of Gethsemane and which will come to a climax when he hangs on that cross. Now we're going to look at an event this morning that isn't the Gospel in the basic sense of the word, i.e. it's not the old, old story of Jesus and his love, but we cannot uh, study Mark's gospel without looking at what we had in our reading, the fall of Peter. It's not just in Mark, it's in all the gospels, so it's vitally important. So, if you want, I'm preaching this morning a challenge to us uh, as believers, uh, and you may have Uh, started following Jesus Christ recently, or you may have been a disciple for a long time. But we still need uh, to be challenged in this whole area uh, of falling away from him. And uh, if we are honest in terms of the situation that the churches are in at the moment, many Christians, including pastors, have fallen away. And what greater challenge and encouragement to us uh, than this well-known account of Peter, the um, great apostle Peter, uh, falling away uh, and then being restored. Uh, If we were just looking at Peter's fall, we would be very depressed, wouldn't we? But thank God we're going to look at his rising again. Uh, So that's what I want to look at, the fall and the restoration of Peter, and we can see how God deals with us. It's very interesting, Mark's style of writing here. Uh, He uh, contrasts the trial of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the rock, the rock of ages, and Jesus is steadfast uh, when he's tried with Peter. Peter is also the rock, and Peter's crumbling. The solid rock that is Jesus Christ and the rock that you and I are, we're just crumbling in and of ourselves. So I find the style quite interesting. Uh, These uh, interjections between Peter in the courtyard of Caiaphas' house, uh, trying his best to follow Jesus and then falling, and then Jesus standing firm on trial. So without further ado, uh, let us uh, look at first the fall of Peter. You know, it happened suddenly, didn't it? After the rooster crowed the second time, Peter had denied his saviour three times and it was all over. But even though a fall happens suddenly... It never happens in a vacuum. There was something building up to this. And when we fall as Christians, even though the fall itself may come as a surprise, often things have been building up for quite some time. So let us be challenged this morning at uh, what caused Peter here uh, to fall. Let me just first go through some of the details, just in case uh, you're not familiar. 
because the time element is uh, really important here. Uh, there is Peter uh, following Jesus Christ. Uh, the Savior had said in the upper room, uh, all of you will forsake me. But Peter says, no, I'm going to follow you even unto death. And he's good at keeping his word. So here is Peter determined now to follow Jesus Christ. The other disciples have run away, but Peter is following from a distance. That's where our reading started. And he follows him all the way to the high priest's house, uh, Caiaphas's house, and there's a courtyard. So Jesus is taken inside to be put on trial, and Peter joins the people that are gathered in the courtyard. And it's a cold night, there's a fire going in the middle of the courtyard, and Peter goes and warms his hands in front of the fire. And a conversation starts, and one of the servant girls, a nobody, simply says to Peter, an innocent comments, you uh, were with him, weren't you? And what does Peter do? He just says in a very general way, no, 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 you've got it wrong. He doesn't deny Jesus the first time. He says what we call a white lie. Uh, he says something political. He doesn't want to be associated with Jesus, but neither does he lie outrightly. That's the first thing. And then Peter goes away from the fire and he goes towards the entrance of the courtyard, probably not to indulge in any more conversation. This was all in the reading. I'm just trying to give a, a narrative here. And then this little girl won't stop. She still goes up to him and says, I'm sure you were with him. And he says, no, no. And then he comes back towards the fire, because it's cold. And... This is what we've got to uh, note. <laughs> she insists and she says, you definitely are one of his followers. Verse 70. And it's not just her, but others say as well, surely you are one of them because your accent betrays you. You're a Galilean. And this is where Peter flips. He curses and he swears. Verse 71 and he says, I do not know this man of whom you speak. That's the denial. He's already denied three times, but it's the third time that he comes out all swearing and says, I don't know Jesus of Nazareth. And then the rooster crows a second time. And Peter remembers the words of Jesus. After the rooster crows a second time, you will have denied me three times. And he's gutted. He's gutted. Very well then. That's a very brief narrative of what happens. But as I said, a fall doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's a build-up. Uh, and what is happening with Peter? Well, in the upper room, when he said, I will never leave you, I will follow you even if it means unto death, he was self-confidence. Christian, if you, like Peter, are confident in yourself, you are on dangerous ground. Now, we mustn't be too hard on Peter here. What 
do we mean by saying that Peter is self-confident? Well, put yourself in Peter's shoes, or sandals, should I say. He's determined to follow Jesus. He's sincere in keeping his word. I will not leave you. But the problem is, he's not doing it in faith. He's relying on his own strength. You see, Peter's a natural leader, isn't he? He's a naturally confident person, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem here is he's already backsliding. That's what we call when a Christian goes away from Jesus Christ. Backsliding is a good word, isn't it? Before he backslides in the obvious sense by denying Jesus Christ, it's already begun in his heart because of this self-confident attitude. He's thinking, if anybody is going to keep close to Jesus Christ, it's going to be me. It's as if I've got the strength. You see, he's sincere, but he's sincerely wrong. We sometimes say if a person is sincere, they're all right. No, no, no. You can be sincerely wrong. A preacher can be eloquent, a natural orator. But if he relies on his eloquence, he's like Peter. A Christian uh, may have the gift of boldness. Think of Martin Luther. But if that Christian relies on his boldness, he can become bullish. A Christian may have the gift of being a peacemaker. But that peacemaking may cause him to compromise where he should stand firm. What's important here is Peter falls at his strongest points. And that's where you and I will fall often. When we think we're strong, that's when the devil will get in. What's your Achilles heel this morning? What's your area, like Peter, where you think, I'm never going to fall there. It's going to be somewhere else. But the problem is, you will get distracted looking at the somewhere else. And then the devil comes in through the back door. Uh, You know one of my favourite Christian books is Pilgrim's Progress. You've got um, the Delectable Mountains, a foretaste of heaven, and you've got the shepherds in the Delectable Mountains, and you've got the shepherd's song, and you've got this line, one line in the shepherd's song. We should all know it off by heart. He that is down need fear no fall. Do you get it? He that is down need fear no fall. If you're going after Jesus on your knees, you're safe. He that is down need fear no fall. Pride, says Solomon, goes before a fall. Peter's pride here led him to deny the Lord. I believe Peter was in a worse place in the upper room when he said to Jesus, I will follow you, whatever, than when he was weeping. It was worse when he was weeping. He felt terrible. But spiritually, I think he was already on the road to recovery then. 
a Hudson Taylor, uh, one of the greatest missionaries, 19th century missionary to China. Do you know what Hudson Taylor said? I don't think he would have been chosen by missionary organizations today. <laughs> Hudson Taylor put it like this. I, I love this. God chose me because I was weak enough. He trains somebody to be quiet enough and little enough, and then he uses him. Peter, if he's going to be used by Christ, has got to be little enough, empty enough to be filled. Uh, another uh, missionary put it like this. This is another brilliant statement. The Lord has the strength, and I have the weakness, and we teamed up. <laughs> what an unbeatable combination. Do you feel like that this morning? I'm all weak. Jesus is all powerful. And we teamed up. That's an unbeatable combination. So there's the self-confidence. And then there's something else about Peter here, isn't there? Before he fell. Uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying, what was Peter doing? Uh, Peter, uh, with the other two disciples, James and John, was asked to pray as well. But what did they do instead of praying? They were asleep. They were fast asleep. Jesus found them so. Uh, verse 37 of chapter 14. Simon said, Jesus, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, we mustn't be too harsh on Peter. They'd had... Uh, a traumatic night. Who could have blamed them for sleeping? But my friend, there's a time for sleeping. And there's a time for being wide awake. And this wasn't a time to sleep. Prayerlessness. Not just self-confidence, but prayerlessness often goes before a fault. They go together, don't they? Once you're confident in yourself, you no longer pray. You may still say your prayer, but you're no longer depending on God. What is prayer? Prayer is the heart going out, not just in adoration and praise, but in utter dependence on God. And Peter here had stopped praying. This is what frightens me as a minister of the gospel. Uh, my job is to do these holy things. And it is possible to pray beautiful prayers, but not to pray. Not to pray. That's why the children's uh, hymn says, I often say my prayers, but do I ever pray? Do I ever pray? Remember one of Peter's prayers when he was sinking in the waves, trying to walk on water, and he took his eyes off Jesus and he sank and he prayed. Help, Lord. That was prayer. Not a long prayer, not an eloquent prayer, but it was prayer. He wasn't praying here. He was following Jesus in his own strength. No prayer. Do we pray? It doesn't matter how gifted you may be. It doesn't matter how good your track record is in terms of serving God. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. If you don't pray, you're on the road to a fall. 
Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. When you think about it, what caused Peter's fall? Even though there was this build-up of self-confidence and prayerlessness, what was the catalyst that caused him to deny his Lord? It was an innocent remark by a girl. It wasn't even one of the Roman soldiers who came to arrest Jesus. The Roman soldiers and the palace guards, they came. The temple guards, they came. And Peter took out a sword in order to try and fight for Jesus. He wasn't afraid then. But now in the courtyard by the fire, it's an innocent comment. All the girl said was, you were with him, weren't you? What's wrong with that? She wasn't threatening him. And yet Peter's heart was already away from God. And that little comment was the spark that caused him to go up in flames. Uh, J.C. Ryle, let us beware of making light of temptation because they seem little and insignificant. There is nothing little that concerns our souls. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, the yeast that you put to cause bread to rise. A little of it. A little spark may kindle a great fire. A little leak may sink a great ship. A little provocation may bring out from our heart great corruption. What did we sing? Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand, how? In his strength alone. The arm of flesh, the props that we depend on, our gifts, etc. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, how? Each piece put on with prayer, with prayer. My friends, can I ask you, can I ask myself, where are we at spiritually this morning? Are we self-confident? Are we prayerless? Because if we are, however much outwardly we may be following the Lord, there's a fall coming, if we can learn anything from Peter. So Peter's fall, it's a challenge. But then, look at how God restores Peter. This is what we want to look at in particular. What's remarkable here <laughs> is that Peter weeps immediately. As soon as the rooster crows the second time, Peter is convicted of his sin and he weeps, in Luke's words, bitter tears. He weeps bitter tears. That's amazing. How suddenly he's transformed from a self-confident, prayerless believer to somebody who's broken and who in his heart, I think, is praying for mercy. Do you know what kind of saviour we've got? Uh, in the Old Testament, when God's people went far away from him into captivity, God referred to himself as the God who heals the backslider. That's the kind of God we are serving Jesus Christ will not break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax. If you are broken this morning through many a fall, here is a saviour who will tenderly come where you're at and raise you back up. That's how he is dealing here with Peter. So how does he convict him here of his sin? What does he do? There are three things, three things, right? Three things. 
the rooster crowing. That's the first thing that wakes Peter up spiritually. But when the rooster crowed first time round, Peter didn't notice. It was only the second time that the rooster crowed that Peter was convicted. What are the roosters? There are no roosters here this morning, are there? Uh, you know what a rooster is, don't you? It's an American word uh, for a cockerel. What are the roosters that God can use to wake us up spiritually? Um, here, here is a, a quote from Krumacher. These roosters sit upon the tombstones, the graveyards of our churches, and their languages. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgments. So Selina, the Countess of Huntingdon, when she was a young girl, she saw, uh, I think it was a young person's body in a coffin. And that was used by the Spirit of God to convict her that she one day would die. That was like the rooster crowing for her. Uh, Krumacher goes on. It may be uh, heard on every birthday celebration, especially when you reach a certain age when you realise that you've got less time ahead of you than behind you. Surely, my friend, that's a rooster crowing, isn't it? That I'm not going to be in this world forever. That I must know what it is to be right with God before it is too late. I must know that I've got a place reserved for me in heaven. Another rooster crowing is illness. Isn't COVID a rooster crowing? Doesn't it wake you up to realise that we're in a time of plague? That you could die? The rooster crowing. But whatever rooster crows you may hear, however loud it may be, it's only the Holy Spirit that will convict us. That's why Peter didn't notice first time round it was only the second time that the Holy Spirit used the crowing of the rooster. What else? The crowing of the rooster. The word of Jesus. Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Uh, how does uh, Mark put it? Because Mark is the gospel according to Peter. Peter was the one who gave the details to Mark. Uh, so Peter called to mind, verse 72, the word that Jesus had said to him. The word of God. Doesn't the Holy Spirit use the word of God? It doesn't matter how boldly I may preach. I can't convict any of you of sin. It doesn't matter how pointed my applications are. It's the Holy Spirit using the word of God. And you know what? The Holy Spirit can just use a verse. And a, uh, the Holy Spirit can use a verse that is spoken not just weeks or months, but years later. I've heard of people who went to Sunday school as children and then didn't bother going to church afterwards. And then in later life, even when they were in old age, suddenly a verse learnt in Sunday school comes to them and it makes them realise that they need to be saved. You know what? Those Christmas cards that have gone out, the Holy Spirit can use just one verse. Even if people don't come to our services to hear the gospel, the word of God, the word 
When did the word of God cut you to your hearts last time? And then, we don't have it in Mark, the rooster, the word, in uh, one of the Gospels. I think it's Luke. You've got Jesus. Just as Peter denied the third time, the rooster crows. Peter's convicted. He remembers the word of Christ. And then Jesus looks at Peter. He looks at him. And I think it was the look of Jesus Christ that broke Peter's hearts. Don't you? The look. Uh, Who said uh, that sometimes a look is more than a thousand words? A look. We looked at Judas Iscariot a few weeks ago. Judas was in tears. But Judas was crying because he despaired of forgiveness. There was no hope for him. Peter is broken and crying, not because of remorse, but because of repentance. And what's broken Peter's heart is that he sinned against his dear Saviour. That's the mark of a Christian. How do I know if I'm a Christian? How can I tell if I've got spiritual life? When you fall, when you sin, are you more concerned about being found out? Are you more concerned about letting yourself down? Or are you more concerned for sinning against love, for sinning against one who went to that cross to die for your sin? That's the difference. The look of Jesus Christ um, Krumacher, I think, says, that look of Jesus Christ, oh, what divine sorrow and love must it have expressed. It acted both as a sword to arouse and a balm to heal. The look of Jesus Christ. What was Jesus saying to Peter in that look? I'm imagining myself now. Can you imagine yourself being Peter? You promised to follow Jesus unto death. And now you failed. And you realize you've been going on in your own strength. You haven't really been depending on him in prayer. And then to make matters worse, he looks at you. And those eyes, you can't escape them. And do you know what he's saying? He's saying, yes, you've denied me. Yes, you've fallen. Yes, you are a sinner. Even as a Christian, you're still a sinner in and of yourself. But you know what? I think there's something else in that look. I think Jesus is saying in that look as well, Peter, you may have denied me, but I'm never going to deny you. Peter, you were not able to follow me unto death but I'm going to go all the way to death in order to raise you back up on your feet. Peter, I'm never going to forget you. I'm going to remember you. I'm going to be crucified in a few hours. 
And when I'm hanging on that cross, I'm going to be remembering you especially then. Because your sin, your denial is going to be put on me. And I'm going to take the punishment for it. And Peter, I'm not going to forget you even after I've risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. I'm still going to be interceding for you there. Peter, I'm never going to let you down. You may have let me down and you'll still let me down, but I'm never ever going to leave you nor forsake you. And brother, sister, the Savior is saying the same to you this morning. You may feel like a failure as a Christian. You may say, I've fallen into the same temptation as William Williams Pantacellian said a hundred times. I fear that he may deny me, but I want to encourage you that the Savior we have is a Savior of grace. The Savior we have is the Savior who says all sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven. The Savior we have is the Savior who restores. He will never forget. Praise be to his name. Somebody like Peter was crucified next to him, spends whole life in sin a murderer probably not just a thief and he said to Jesus Lord remember me remember me and Jesus said today you shall be with me in paradise it's the gospel again we can't get away from the cross you know God's covenant of grace Uh, Sometimes I explain covenant in terms of a contract, like two people getting married and both make promises. And there's an element of truth in that. But you know what? God's covenant of grace is more like a will, a testament, which is one-sided. Someone's will bestows a gift to another person. And it's like that with Peter. We can't think of the covenant of grace between Jesus and Peter as a contract because Peter has failed on his side and Peter will fail again and if it depended on Peter there was no hope for Peter but it's one-sided and that's why Peter is restored and kept and it's the same for you and for me the covenant of grace undeserving favor uh, do you know this hymn I don't think we've got it in our supplements but it's good There is a way back to God. Do you feel far from God this morning? I don't know you. I don't know your hearts. I know most of you outwardly, but I don't know where you're at spiritually. And you may feel spiritually far from God. I want to say there is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There is a way that is open that all may go in. How? At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. At Calvary's cross is where you begin. And Peter had to begin again. This man that had already been called to follow Jesus, this man who'd already been called as an apostle of Jesus Christ, this man who'd already been appointed as the leader of the disciples, he had to go back and he had to start again and start again at the foot of the cross, where he begun. Do we need to start again, I wonder? 
Rabbi Duncan. Have you heard of Rabbi Duncan, the good old 19th century Scottish um, Hebrewist and preacher? He was um, pastoring a church, and in Scotland, uh, they used to have a tendency to so emphasize our responsibilities as Christians that a lot of believers lacked assurance. They didn't know if they were forgiven. And there was a lady in the communion service that Rabbi Duncan was taking, and she came in late, so she had to sit behind the elders near the front, right? So Rabbi Duncan could see her. And this lady, she was a sinner. She thought she was unaccepted by Jesus Christ. And this is how it goes. She felt too unworthy to take the cup and wept. She was repentant, you see. She wept as it came to her, like Peter. And she let it pass her. But Duncan said to her, take it, take it. It's for sinners. Take him, take him, backslider. He's for sinners. Doesn't it encourage you that Jesus Christ restored to Peter? Peter's fall was terrible. To swear, to, uh, you know, curse, and to say that he didn't even know Jesus Christ. That, that was terrible. Just as terrible as Judas's betrayal. Why wasn't Judas restored? Judas wasn't restored because he didn't repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Peter was restored because he was so glad that as a sinner, he could come for the first time to the Savior. Uh, I was helped uh, when preparing this sermon by reading something from one of Warren Wearsby's commentary, not in the main part of the commentary, but in the preface. Uh, we've been thinking, haven't we, about Peter and Judas. Think of the other disciples. They were all failures, weren't they? At this crucial point in Jesus's ministry, they forsook him, and the only one who followed him fell grievously. What failures? What do you make of this? Uh, Wearsby or somebody related to him found this on the internet. Um, Jesus choosing uh, his candidates for disciples, and he checked, this is fiction now, right, but it makes a valid point. He checked with the Jordan management consultants at Jerusalem, and they write to him, to Jesus, son of Joseph, woodcrafter, carpenter shop, Nazareth, from Jordan Management Consultants, Jerusalem. Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. We have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultants. So they wanted to check how suitable they were. It is the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in the background, educational and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. In other words, they're saying they're no good. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. 
Andrew has no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it's our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. No much hope is there. No much hope. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. Thank God that Jesus chose the weak things of the world. Like the eleven. Like you and me. Thank God we have a saviour who heals and restores the backslider. You know, Peter here. Peter. Can you imagine if Peter hadn't fallen? What a... What a proud pastor he would have become. You know, he was the man Jesus called to lead the church. Imagine how, how big-headed he would have been. But Peter, because he's fallen, because he's been through tears, is now able to get alongside people who are also struggling and to be a tender, loving pastor. Peter started all over again. Maybe we need to start all over again. And my, like the phoenix. You know the phoenix, the mythical bird? Uh, rising out of the ashes. Peter here rises from the ashes of defeat, from the ashes of bitter tears. He rises. My, how he rises uh, he is still going to be given the task of leading the disciples. He's going to be given the task of feeding, not the giraffes, but the lambs of Christ's flock. He, on the day of Pentecost, is going to be the one who will preach the first sermon. He is going to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. And he is going to follow Jesus, even unto death. Not in his own strength, but in the power of the Spirit's. And one day Peter is going to be crucified just as his saviour. But what a difference. Well, there we go. Simon Peter's fall. We all fall. If you're just converted and you think the Christian life is a bed of roses, yes, it is a way of life, but you will fall at some points. Remember, to look to Jesus Christ, confess, repent, turn, start again. And through many a fall, you will become stronger. Because when we are weak, then we are strong.